Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you catch the kids are. This is Sports Crunch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and welcome to the last of eight division by division recaps of the 2021 NFL Draft. Today, we visit the division that Trevor Lawrence is poised to take over sooner rather than later, the AFC South. And joining us to break down the draft classes of the Jaguars, Texans, Colts, and Titans, it is a pleasure to welcome back our good friend Jake Arthur, who covers the Indianapolis Colts for SI's Horseshoe Huddle and co-hosts the Believe in Colts podcast. What's up, Jake? Good to have you on as always. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me back, man. You're very welcome, Jake. And let's start out with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And we know a lot about Trevor Lord, so we're not going to discuss him in depth. But let's go on to their other first-round pick, which I wasn't the biggest fan of. Not only did I feel the Travis Etienne pick was a waste, given the presence of James Robinson on the roster, Urban Meyer says they're trying to get Etienne to play wide receiver in addition to running back, and he's never played the former position. Outside of Travis Etienne's familiarity with Trevor Lawrence and his impact on team culture, how do you justify the Jaguars taking him in the first round? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I love the player. I hate the pick. Uh, I, I know I, I'm sure you had seen it mocked a bunch of times leading up to the draft, whether it was, you know, the top of the second round or what have you. Uh, but I, I never gave into it. I never wanted to, to make that pick happen because it didn't make sense. I, I, like you said, outside of Lawrence and, and Etienne being familiar, it just didn't make sense. And I did dislike it even more now knowing that Etienne's going to be a receiver. Because, uh, I mean, what, what on tape shows you that he's going to be a special receiver? I mean, I think he's a potentially special running back, but there's James Robinson there already. It's just, it's already iffy to take a running back in the first round. It's even more iffy to take a running back in the first round if you've already got one. And if you're not even going to, if you're going to make that guy change positions. I just really didn't like that one. Definitely. And moving on to their second round picks, they had two of them. And with the first of those two picks, the Jaguars selected Tyson Campbell, the long, tall athletic corner from Georgia with track speed. The only reason he fell out of the first round was his struggles locating the ball in the air. In 2018, a corner prospect with a similar body type fell all the way to the end of the second round for essentially that same reason. That prospect, Carlton Davis, who has grown into a top 10 corner in the NFL for the Bucks. Can you see Tyson Campbell experiencing a similar rise over these next three years? Uh, it's potential, yeah. Um, I did like this pick a lot. Um, you know, big, lengthy guy. You know, he, he can be physical. Uh, great speed. I, I liked it for this team especially. Uh, especially after they went and got CJ Henderson last year, he's, he's a little, you know, he's got some things to work on. So yeah, his, his impact probably won't be immediate, uh, but he could develop it into, into something pretty nice, especially if he can get physical and, and stay that way. Uh, I like his chances a lot more because you just, you got to have that physicality to go with the size and then the speed would just be a tremendous asset on top of it all. Oh, definitely. And to give you all an idea of how fast Tyson Campbell is, in high school, he was on a national track championship team uh, in the 100 by 4 meter relay, I believe, and his two teammates, Pat Sertan and Anthony Schwartz, who was drafted by the Cleveland Browns in round three. That's how amazingly fast Tyson Campbell is, and that speed uh, is going to come in handy right from the get-go, and if he develops those uh, better ball skills, like he could turn into a Pro Bowl level corner. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, 
the, there were some similar things said about Jalen Ramsey coming out. I mean, Ramsey was way more polished, uh, but there was a big concern about ball skills and things like that. So uh, there, there's we've seen some good examples of guys of of his kind of profile that he could transform into. Now those are really high end examples, but it just goes to show you that you know that blend of traits can make a pretty good player. It most certainly can. And in the third round, the Jaguars addressed the secondary again with safety Andre Sisco out of Syracuse. And Sisco's tape shows the ultimate feast or famine prospect. He's either making a big play on the ball or giving up a big play to the opposing offense with nothing in between. That said, Doug Farrar of the USA Today Touchdown Wire said that Sisco could be, quote, lethal if he could get coached up to stop biting on every route. Just how high is Andre Sisco's ceiling if he does eliminate those bad habits in his play? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the physical and athletic things are all there. Uh, for me, for the safety position, I think it's it's kind of hard to really it's kind of it's kind of hard to translate if you don't have those instincts. You know what I mean? And he just really he, he really chooses wrong a lot of times or just over pursues things. Um, so, yeah, it's. I'm not going to say it's impossible, but that's not typically the type of safety I look for. We've seen a lot of really negative examples of that in the past. And moving on to the uh, Houston Texans, whose first pick didn't come until the third round at 67 overall, and they used it on Stanford quarterback Davis Mills. And as soon as that pick was made, the TV analysts were saying that the Texans were essentially admitting that Deshaun Watson has played his final stab as a Texan regardless of how his legal issues turn out. Do you see it that way? Uh, it could be. I'm I'm kind of looking at all the other stuff they've done this off season that that speaks just as well to that. I don't I don't know if they have anything like pending getting uh, Watson out of there, but I think they're trying to prepare for the fact that maybe he won't be there uh, th- this season. You know, they loaded up on running backs, which to me says, hey, we're going to try and make things easy for a younger quarterback by just really leaning on uh, on the run. If they were gonna and keep investing in Deshaun Watson, then you know some of the moves they've made just don't really make a whole lot of sense. Especially since Will Fuller's gone, um, you know they took a quarterback with their first pick. They didn't take a receiver, you know, in, until the third round as well because they didn't, you know, they didn't have any any assets before the third round. Um, yeah, D- Davis Mills is an interesting case. Um, he's he's one of the guys who was one of the second or third tier quarterbacks that, that were out there that had potential to eventually start. Um, so I do kind of like that matchup for the Texans. Now, if they're, if they're trying to have him start as a rookie at some point, cause you know, they have Tyrod Taylor, unfortunately for Taylor, he's, he's the guy that teams bring in when a rookie's going to eventually start. It seems like, um, but yeah, it's the, the Davis mills pick is, is an okay one for Houston. I think it could work out if, if Watson's not going to be there. Um, but Davis Mills himself is kind of a feast or famine prospect as well. Uh, yes, and uh, when you look at the Texans, uh, as my man Nick Kendall and I discussed on our uh, roster ranking special, uh, that uh, this Texans roster this year might be the worst constructed NFL roster in modern NFL history, and that is not being hyperbolic. And uh, the Houston Texans, uh, you're looking at a team that is only going to win two or three games maximum this year. They could easily go 0-17 in the first 17-game season in NFL history. Uh, because of that, would you anticipate Davis Mills starting a few games later in the year? Uh, probably, yeah. Assuming Deshaun Watson won't be there. 
Uh, if if Deshaun Watson isn't the starting quarterback this year, then I totally agree. They, they'll probably only win a couple games, uh, if that. Now, Deshaun Watson is is the ultimate X factor. He'll, you know, he's the difference in them winning six or seven games or just one or two. Um, but yeah, I, I would I would think if the whole season is just a total throwaway and Watson's not there, I w- I would get Davis Mills out there to see what he's got for sure. And 22 picks later, the Texans traded back up into the third, surrendering their 2022 fourth in the process. And they did that to select Michigan wide receiver Nico Collins, who is that big-bodied wide receiver they've been missing since they traded away DeAndre Hopkins. And Joe Klatt said on the NFL Network broadcast that Collins would have put up far better numbers in college if it weren't for poor quarterback play at Michigan. Do you think Nico Collins could find better success in the NFL with at least competent quarterback play in, uh, say, Tyrod Taylor? I do. Uh, you're, you're looking at a really big athletic guy there. Uh, he's, you know, th- those Michigan receivers, I'm including Tariq black in that before he transferred to Texas, you just wish you could have seen more from them in college, but the quarterback play was really an issue. Uh, Collins was a popular pick for Colts fans to want to get him on day two sometime. Uh, I really like, I really do like this pick for, for Houston. I, uh, you know, for him, it's a bummer. He may not have the quarterback play still, uh, depending on what's going on with Watson. Um, but, but I think he's a guy who could translate well to the NFL at some point and develop into a big time playmaker. Uh, yes. And, uh, didn't that pick reek of, uh, David Culley's influence, David Culley, uh, coming from the Ravens as the Ravens assistant head coach and wide receivers coach and, uh, Culley seeing a guy that he believes could be the next best X receiver in Houston Texans history. Yeah, exactly. I, I could see that influence there. You got a big athletic guy. Kind of reminds me of Miles Boykin from the Ravens. Uh, I don't know if Cully was there when they drafted him, but uh, that, that certainly kind of reminded me of that, that pairing a bit. Yes, and moving on to the team you covered, the Indianapolis Colts, who at 21 overall, they took the player you predicted they would take in our uh, AFC South uh, draft preview episode in Michigan defensive end Quiddy Pay. The Colts are hoping that Quiddy Pay becomes the consistent edge rusher that they've been lacking recently. And at Michigan, as we discussed, Quiddy Pay played a lot of his snaps inside, but some people believe the Colts should almost solely play him at defensive end for now. Is that what the Colts should do, or should they have him kick inside next to DeForest Buckner in certain sub packages? Uh, I, I think he's primarily going to play uh, right end. Uh, it, it looks like that's what they're starting him out at right now. Because uh, I think they just want to – I don't think they want him doing a whole bunch of reading and reacting and diagnosing. I think they want him to go get in the backfield. Uh, so they're going to put him at right end, which is, is basically their pass rushing end. I do think in certain some packages, sub packages they'll kick him inside just because he has that versatility. Um but he may not do it as much because they do have other guys to do that. Uh, they've got Tyquan Lewis who can do that. Isaac Rochelle. They drafted a guy in the second round and Dio Odangbo who they have big plans for. Uh, he can also do that. But, you know, Matt Eberflus, he's just got a bunch of defensive linemen that can play all over the place. And I expect that to be what the defensive line looks like. You know, we, we could see different defensive line configurations most weeks in sub packages. Uh, they, they've definitely got some toys they can play with, and pay is a big part of it. 
And I'm glad you mentioned Dio Odangbo because the Colts double-dipped on the defensive line, as you mentioned, with the, the versatile Odangbo out of Vanderbilt in the second round. And Dio Odangbo is unlikely to play this season, correct me if I'm wrong, due to the Achilles injury he suffered in January. But the Colts obviously have high hopes for him long-term, as you said. What does Dio Odangbo bring to the Colts' front four that Quiddy Pay does not? Uh, yeah, so no one's really saying anything for certain on his timeline. They're not giving a timeline. Uh, there have there were some reports like on draft night I think that said he he was going to redshirt this year, but I don't I don't think they're going to put that limitation on him. Uh, you know he could start out on like the physically unable to perform list, and then they'll just kind of go from there. Uh, I definitely don't think they're going to force him in there. They're they're not going to put him out there until he's a hundred percent. They kind of learned their lesson on Kamoko Toure um, last year, but they love this kid. So I, I think as eager as they'll be to get him out there an Achilles injury is no joke. So if they want him long-term, they're going to make sure he's a hundred percent ready to go. Uh, but no, they, they love his, his wingspan, his size, his speed and everything. Uh, general manager, Chris Ballard actually said he kind of had to be talked out of taking him at 21. Uh, they, they had similar grades for both Odengbo and pay. So they love this kid. Wow. Thank you very much for that nugget. And, uh, once again, uh, what does Dio Dangbo bring to that Colts defensive line that Quiddy Pay does not? Yeah, so uh, Dangbo's got more size. Uh, I'm, I kind of look at him as a more athletic Danico Autry. Uh, Danico Autry was there for most of the season, their starting left end last year. Uh, big guy, you know, that, that 6'5", 6'5", 270, 280 uh, area. I believe his arms are like 85 inches or something crazy like that. He's got basically a pterodactyl's wingspan, I, I say <laughs> about him. Uh, but now he's he can play real violently. He's a little raw himself. Um, he's got, you know, you want to see a little more time in a, in a scheme like the Colts. It's kind of a controlled chaos scheme. It's, you know, they, they want you to get into the backfield. So it's kind of simple. They don't. They don't have you relying on a bunch of diagnosis and gap control and things like that. They say, just go, go into the backfield and disrupt things. Uh, and I think they, they really see his skill sets coming through when, when they want that to happen. And now moving on to the reigning AFC South division champion, Tennessee Titans, who obviously just acquired Julio Jones from the Falcons, but that was just the cherry on top to what I thought was a pretty rock solid draft class. And that class began at 22 overall, where the Titans selected Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley. And some believe that Caleb Farley would slide out of the first round entirely due to his two recent back surgeries. And prior to his most recent procedure, some of the top draft analysts considered Farley as the best corner in this class, period. Do you think there was a good argument in initially placing him above Pat Sertan and J.C. Horn? And if so, why? Uh, yeah, I, I think I still would have had Sertan. But no, when you got his his size and his man, um, his man coverage abilities physicality you know things like that he's he kind of he checks most of the boxes like he's not to me he's not like spectacular at any one thing but he does pretty much everything well in in general um i actually in my final mock draft i had him going to tennessee here at 22 i just love the fit he he seems like a mike frable cornerback they especially needed him with what they lost you know malcolm butler adoree jackson uh so i i definitely love that pairing um, 
if if you know the injuries are not really an issue i believe is a, a black a back procedure um then shoot they they got a steal there because pretty much every mock had him in the top dozen picks before that all came out Yes, and one of the things that I personally like about Caleb Farley's background is that he was a wide receiver before he switched over to corner, and uh, we've seen similar success uh, with other players who've had that experience, like Richard Sherman. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I kind of like that background, too, as long as they've had enough experience playing corner. It just, it gives you that experience seeing both sides of it. I mean, you're, you have the experience playing corner, obviously, but you also kind of have that advantage of being in your opponent's head because you've been there where they are before. Um, so I, I really like a cornerback that's got both sides of that. And in the second round, the Titans might have gotten a huge steal. In North Dakota, offensive tackle Dylan Radins, who obviously protected Trey Lance's blind side in college. Some believe that Dylan Radins would go at the tail end of the first round. Why do you think he fell as far as he did to get selected behind guys like Walker Little, who we'll get to in a moment, and Jackson Carmen? Uh, yeah, I just think it was kind of generally, you know, size, arm length, and uh, and coming from North Dakota State, not, not, not necessarily coming from a D1 Power 5 school. Uh, I was kind of curious if, if the Colts had an eye on him, because after we talked to, to Chris Ballard following round two, we talked about is it, you know, peculiar? You still haven't been able to get a left tackle, but there's still some left. And he mentioned that there was a couple of them taken before them, you know, Radunes and I think Sam Cosme went before them. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there were teams that definitely liked him. End of the first probably was a possibility, but, you know, there was just two, two other good players there. So, um, yeah, it's, I don't, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people project him to guard as well. So w- without being a, a slam dunk pick at tackle, I think that probably probably had some teams concerned. Oh, very interesting. But uh, do you believe that Dylan Radids will be the starting right tackle for the Tennessee Titans in week one as the bookend to uh, Taylor Lewan? I think it's certainly possible. I, I said they needed a right tackle. I had for a lot of the draft process, I had projected uh, Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State to potentially go to them in the first round. Um, I, I really liked that match at right tackle. So, shoot, I mean, Radunes doesn't have to play left tackle, so that kind of alleviates any concerns if the Titans had that concern. Uh, I don't see why he couldn't be a plug-and-play right tackle. Uh, they certainly need it. You know, they, they lost swing tackle Dennis Kelly uh, in, in free agency, so they kind of really need a, a right tackle option. Worst case scenario, they get a swing tackle for this year as well. I definitely agree. Dylan Radins, uh, no way he shouldn't be a plug-and-play right tackle for the Tennessee Titans this season. And at the tail end of the third round, the Titans also potentially got a major steal. In versatile defensive back, Elijah Molden out of Washington. And Elijah Molden is a guy who probably fell due to his lack of size and freakish athleticism, but his playmaking and instincts are comparable, in the eyes of some at least, to Tyron Matthew, for crying out loud. What do you think Elijah Bolden's ceiling looks like at the NFL level? Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of curious. I, I think he was there because of the size. I, I had read a bit about him leading up to the draft and how teams were looking at him. It's like, where do you play him? Is it nickel, corner, safety? It was all about the size for him because on the field, he is a playmaker. You know, kind of reminded me of LaMarcus Joyner a bit coming out of Florida State. 
but I, I did see some people mention Tyron Matthew as a potential comp as, as far as, you know, how he played in, in college. So that's fine. Um, I, I think Tyron Matthew is a little, is a little rich of a comparison in the NFL just because he's pretty much lived up to the billing he had in college. Um, I think, you know, maybe LaMarcus Joyner uh, with the Rams early in his career is is probably something I'm, I'm looking at for him. Um, maybe a little nickel, but probably best at, at free safety, I might put him. Because uh, that's that's been another concern is, again, what position do you play him at? Uh, it looks like he's listed as a corner here on, on the Titans uh, draft sheet. But, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, he certainly fits the Titans. They've had some versatile guys like him before. Um, not, not the same composition, but like Amani Hooker comes to mind at safety. Uh, they've kind of played him all over the place. He played everywhere at Iowa. Um, no, I, I think he'll be a, a decent, a good, decent player for them. I don't necessarily think he'll be a star, uh, but I, I could see him earning a starting spot at some point and not relinquishing it. He is Jake Arthur, ladies and gentlemen, co-host of the Believe It Colts podcast and lead editor for SI's Horseshoe Huddle. You can follow him on Twitter at JakeArthurNFL. And Jake, it's time to play our favorite game on the show. It's called Truth or Exaggeration. And in this game, I will mention the name of a prospect drafted into the AFC South that we haven't discussed yet, and you tell me whether I'm telling the truth or whether I'm telling an exaggeration and why. Starting with the Jaguars, Walker Little will be the Jaguars' starting left tackle in 2022. Truth or Exaggeration. Mm, that's tough. I'll say exaggeration. Um, I mean, I know he's a, he was a second round pick, so is decently high capital. Uh, but I don't really see him as as a huge upgrade over Cam Robinson. And if they thought enough of Robinson to give him the franchise tag, I just don't see Walker Little making so much more progress than him in practice to replace Robinson with him at left tackle. So I'm going to say exaggeration. Uh, interesting. If Walker Little isn't the Jaguars' starting left tackle uh, in 2022, do you think he could challenge Jawan Taylor for that right tackle spot if Jawan Taylor fails to take that next step? Yeah, that that, that could be a realistic competition for him. Um, I just don't know that I would have taken a, a tackle like they did. and I would probably would have gone interior because I kind of like Jawan Taylor too. Um, he, he hasn't lived up to the billing yet, but I think it's probably more realistic that little competes for right tackle and moving on to the texans the texans will have multiple first round picks in the 2022 nfl draft including the first overall pick truth or exaggeration oof um i'll say i'll say truth on that uh because the deshaun watson situation is ugly and if they get rid of him they're obviously going to get a first round pick out of that and if they get rid of Deshaun Watson, they're also going to be just beyond terrible. Uh, so I'll, I'll say they'll have m- multiple first-round picks and the first overall pick. That, that checks out. Uh, yes, that's what I personally expect as well. The Texans might get two, if not three, uh, uh, picks uh, in the first round, if not four, if the Eagles send them all their picks for Watson. So uh, I'm expecting something along those lines to happen as well. And moving the on to the— news- I was going to say, the, the good news for the rest of the AFC South is they haven't really proven to know what to do with picks or roster <laughs> building in general. So that's fine. <laughs> Indeed. Especially this uh, new regime under uh, Nick Casario and David Culley. Very unproven. And moving on to the Colts. 
Kylan Granson will become the main move tight end for the Colts in 2022. Truth or exaggeration? That's truth. Um, I definitely think that one uh, will be the case. Like you said, 2022, so probably not this year. Uh, it takes tight ends a little bit to acclimate. Uh, but he's a smart guy. He, he knows exactly why tight ends take a while. And he, he said it's basically um, outside of quarterback, tight ends have to know the most information on the offense. Uh, but he's, again, he's a really smart guy with a high football IQ. So I think he'll be able to do it. Uh, he's, he's the best candidate to be the, their move tight end. Uh, Mo Ali Cox isn't really that, and he's a very good inline blocker as well. So um, as long as Granson just doesn't totally bomb, which I don't see happening, I definitely see him being their, their top move tight end next year. And last but not least with the Tennessee Titans, Monty Rice will replace either Rashawn Evans, who didn't get his fifth-year option picked up, or Jayon Brown, who was just brought back on a one-year deal, as one of the two starting inside linebackers for the Titans at some point this season. Truth or exaggeration? Ooh, this season, I say exaggeration. I definitely see it in the future, but I don't think so this season. I mean, unless obviously one of them gets hurt. Uh, but I, I like both of those guys. They seem to fit that defense pretty well. Uh, Jayon Brown is, is a Colts killer. He comes up big against them every time. Uh, Rashawn Evans, you know, can get, he can blitz all right, and he's a, he's a good run defender. Um, so I don't really see that needing to happen until next year. Uh, but uh, again, I do think it'll happen, just not this year. And last but not least, before we let you go, Jake, it's time to play another game called Absolutes. And this is a simple game. Just uh, name me your favorite pick in the division, the most puzzling pick in the division, et cetera, et cetera. Starting with your absolute favorite pick of the 2021 NFL Draft that landed in the AFC South. And uh, if it's anybody other than Trevor Lawrence, who would it be? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so that that was a layup. That was just like the Colts getting Andrew Luck in 2012. <laughs> um, I'll be a homer here, but I I love the Colts getting Quiddy Pay. Uh, he was their best case scenario in the whole draft. Uh, there, there wasn't a lot of consistency to people's edge rankings this year, but I think most often the number one edge on people's boards was Quiddy Pay. They've needed a star pass rusher for so long. The last one they had was was Robert Mathis, and he was in his mid-30s by that point. Um, so having Quiddy Pay fall into their lap at 21 after the Giants picked the receiver that they did instead of Pay right in front of them, uh, that, was, that was an awesome pick, and they couldn't have been happier to make it. What was the most puzzling pick of the 2021 NFL draft that landed in the AFC South? Puzzling pick. Yeah, let me let me bring these up here again just so I can just so I can make you <laughs> a a really good one here. Let's see. So far, you know, so far you and I have mentioned it. Let me make sure there's uh there's no competition for it. So I'll, okay, I'll give you two. Uh the first one obviously will go with Travis Etienne. I get why they would want a guy like that on their team. He's going to be a great player, I I think, and I I would take him. But just for that specific team, I I just did not like the pick for the Jaguars. They just didn't need it, and it's our again, it's already an iffy thing to take a running back in the first, anyways. And now they're not even going to have him play the position that <laughs> you know he started out in college. Apparently, uh, it's not too late to keep him at running back. Uh, and then another one I'll give you was uh, the Titans taking Rashad Weaver 
um, it was round four, which was like an appropriate draft range for him. But he got it came out that he was in trouble like right after the draft. So if they knew he was in trouble, that was a smart pick. Um, you know, that, that's a team that already had so many needs going into the draft to begin with, and like red red needs like they had some big holes to fill uh so that could could have just potentially been a, a total throwaway pick if they knew beforehand he was going to be in trouble who was the biggest day three steal in the afc south um so this isn't necessarily going to be for this year but i did love the kylan granson pick for the colts uh he is he fits them very very well uh, again tight ends take a little bit to acclimate so it's probably not going to show up this year um but i think he's going to be in a perfect role for this year. he's going to be their tight end three basically filling the the trey burton role from last year uh and then next year i expect him to to take on more of a workload uh he's going to be well he has shown to be great after the catch with the exception of one game he's had great hands uh he can stretch the field he can work the seam like they haven't had in a while uh, he could, you know, he could potentially be what they, they wanted Kobe Fleener to be, um, you know, when they drafted him in, in 2012. Uh, so that, you know, along with Quiddy pay, that could be a, that could be a position. They haven't really, they haven't had a really, really good player filling that position in that specific role in a while as a kind of move tight end who can really take the top off of a defense and keep them honest. So your favorite day three steal in the AFC South was Kylan Grant to the Colts. And in that case, who were your favorite day three picks for the Texans, the Titans, and the Jaguars? Yeah, so the Texans, uh, I, I would have to say Brevin Jordan for them, getting him in round five. Uh, I, I guess was it the, the his uh, pro day performance that had him slipping? I'm not really sure why. I mean, yes, he's kind of, kind of a one-trick pony at, tight end as a as a pass catcher and playmaker but you know the the fifth round seemed a little low for him so i i liked them being able to get him uh as for jacksonville's day three picks um jordan smith from uab the edge defender there uh they it seems like every year jacksonville picks up a defensive lineman that i really really liked and you know for for them this year was jordan smith uh that he didn't test super well uh, but he's got a little bend. He's got a huge frame. Could probably kick inside a little bit uh, for them still. So I, I did like that pick for them. And then for Houston, I won't say – well, no, never mind. Not Houston, we already said that one. <laughs> um, as for uh, Tennessee, their day three pick that I most liked, um, I guess you got to go with uh, Des Fitzpatrick. Uh, they really needed wide receiver help. I mean, obviously with Julio Jones now, that kind of, you know, it looks like a little bit of a moot point, but uh, they really needed wide receiver help. And without addressing it until the fourth round, Fitzpatrick was a, a really good pickup. Uh, he's got the size and downfield ability. Uh, he, he can make some big plays for them and they need that. Um, you know, already having AJ Brown as, as a compliment and a, a huge big play guy, uh, Fitzpatrick fits into their offense pretty well. Who will be the best offensive rookie in the AFC South in 2021? Not named Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's got to be Lawrence. Um, let's see. 
I wish I knew what, I wish I knew if Etienne had a realistic chance in the in the coaching staff size to be the starting running back. That that would be helpful. Um, let's see. I can't say Davis Mills yet. I'm just not ready to say that. I guess we got to say it's Travis Etienne. I, I mean, he's well. We could just say Trevor Lawrence, anyways. <laughs> yeah, tre- I mean, Trevor Lawrence is is the definite, but I mean. Travis Etienne is is the only other guy I'd, I'd really be comfortable saying he's easily got the most talent out of out of the rest of those guys. So I'd still have to say him. Yeah, that makes sense. And last but not least, who is going to be the best defensive rookie in the AFC South in twenty twenty one? Oh, that's got to be Pay. I would think um, he's one of the early favorites for NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. Um, so I would definitely say of his own division, he, he should be considered as such. Uh, there, there are some other good ones though, you know, Caleb Farley, if, if he's healthy, he's got a good shot at it. Cause I think he'll start right away. I, I don't see why not as, as far as, you know, if he's medically cleared to do so. Uh, so Caleb Farley is an, is another possibility. Um, but yeah, Quiddy pay is, has gotta be it. I don't, I don't think Tyson Campbell is going to have that much of an impact quite yet. Um, Houston did, you know, they they didn't draft any any defenders until late round five. So it's got to be pay in my eyes. He is Jake Arthur, ladies and gentlemen, at Jake Arthur NFL. Catch his work at the Horseshoe Huddle and the Believe in Colts podcast. Jake, thank you so much once again for joining us. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch and our 2021 NFL Draft Recap Series. But we'll be back with more exciting and inspiring episodes in the next two weeks, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that's Crunch with AK. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Jake. You can also follow me on Twitter at dcrom 59 and now on Instagram at sportscrunch with dcrom. For Jake Arthur, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome, stay safe, stay sane, and folks, all 32 NFL stadiums will be allowed to be at full capacity this fall. But if you don't want to wear a mask to the game, please get vaccinated if you haven't done so yet. Take care, cats and kittens, and stay cool. (laughs) 